Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The been thinking about McDonald's all day can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh. Got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Handready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 245 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. I am your host, David William Hanready, and I'm joined by Craig Fitzpatrick. Charles, right? Craig Charles Fitzpatrick? Yeah, yeah. The middle name's back. There's a nice pep in the step of your voice. The week off has clearly replenished you. Good well, to have you back, you know, buddy. Good to be back. Thank you. I heard your two hour and six minute episode last week and I was like, okay, they've lost the run of themselves. I have to step back in. Here I am. No, I mean like for reals, I'm doing the it's Frank Lampard. It's five minutes more than usual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm doing the Frank Lampard transition here where I'm like, oh no, but seriously, my, um, no, it was a really good episode. Thanks very much. I, I, I will say thank you to Zara Hedeman who stepped in, of course. However, uh, as I cast my eye over the running order for the show this week, Craig, via our Google document, um, there's a line here that says, Zara Hedeman is the greatest living no encore super sub. Her favourite weather song is Travis. Why does it always rain on me? Because we're doing weather yeah, songs this week. Yeah, still got the link to the doc. I'm I guessing. begged you not to let her in. What did you do? <laughs> you, you we're never going to let her in. You know that, right? <laughs> well, it was a joy yeah. having her on, so I'm, I'm happy it with was. that. 
She's um, great. And she's been great every time she's appeared in the show this year. And we thank her for that. Uh, we thank you for listening to our show week in, week out. We are getting towards the end of the year. I'm getting very excited about end of year season, but we're not there just yet on this episode. Maybe a late contender for the album of the year. I don't know. ACDC and Power Up. That's our album review this week. And as noted, our top five rundown is weather-related songs. Now, we did seasonal songs recently. It's not the same top five. Craig, put the listeners at ease, yeah? Uh, Yeah, it's just about, like, weather conditions and stuff, mate. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Your rains, your winds, your storms, your snows. um, We're getting quite elemental and yeah my one proviso just for my own sanity has been that the type of weather has to be in the song title i'm not holding you to that but it helps me kind of navigate and there was a wealth of stuff out there so it was it was a nice one to work on a nice kind of easy one yeah no it's gonna be good i'm looking forward to it it's it's nice to be back with it with a fresh top five in front of me um yeah so also i should say there's a fresh episode of no popcorn in your feed right now it's a also a two-hour episode i guess it was in the air myself dave higgins and dahio droni discussing suspiria from 19 1977 and Suspiria from 2018. I very, very much enjoyed doing that one. More No Popcorn to come, of course. Do hop on there. And also to note as well, uh, if you want to help support the show, we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash no encore. A huge thank you to everyone who has done so since we launched it back in, I think it was April or so. Um, at the moment, we are gathering questions for our Christmas special that we're going to put out. We're going to do a yeah. Q&A episode, and we have had lots of questions sent in so far, all of which have been very interesting. I'm piling them all in the Google Doc that Zara Hedeman does not have access to, and <laughs> keep them coming. I mean, if you want to send us a DM on you know Twitter at No Encore Show, email us, noencoreshow at gmail.com, or respond to that Patreon post on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash noencore. And we can go from there. We'll see how it goes. But listen, let's not dance around the news this week, Craig, because there's lots of it. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's quite a packed section. So, listener, break out that uh, bottle of Sunny Delight you've been waiting for all week. It's time. Sunny D? Uh, why not? Yeah, like, it's it's back, right? It's cool. People like Sunny D. Don't sure, they? yeah. I suppose no, it's good what, for, what, like, mulled wine, is it? Like, fucking... <laughs> No, I was going to say, actually, I mean, I don't know how much vitamin D content there is in Sunny D. I presume a lot from the labelling, but it's got to be good at this time of year, right? Lack of sunlight. Maybe it is just the Christmas beverage you're looking for. Star of advertising, Craig Fitzpatrick, everybody. (laughs) Uh, He is right, though. It is the season. It is the Christmas season, as much as I don't want it to be. It is. uh, Our Christmas tree's up, by the way. My housemate sheds to to Richard Chambers, who turned, uh, I'm not going to say his age, it was his birthday last week. and 50 years young. He's 50 years (laughs) Wearing it He's not 50 (laughs) years of age. He's very excited, though. Um, He put up the Christmas tree last Friday, much to my chagrin. And yeah, there it is. So everyone's happy. But some people who aren't happy when it comes to Christmas are fairytale New York fans because the most manufactured controversy of I'm recent years. I'm sick of this. I mean, yeah. It gets, it gets earlier every year. So uh, BBC And Radio more nuanced. One. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> BBC Radio 1 uh, will not play the original version of Fairytale New York by the Pogues and Kirsty McCall this Christmas because its audience might be defended, offended by some of the lyrics. Uh, the station said that young listeners were particularly sensitive to derogatory terms for gender and sexuality. Uh, I gotta assume that people who are listening to me know what I'm referring to. I'm not going to drop an F-bomb on this show. Um, so BBC Radio 1 will play an edited version with different lyrics sung by Kirsty McCall. Uh, however, the 1987 original will still be played on Radio 2 where while six music DJs can choose between the two. Very nice. Uh, a, a nice choose your own adventure there that won't upset anybody. So um, the last couple of years this became a thing and I was not quite at the forefront of it myself but back in my joe.ie days I do recall an afternoon in which I came in 
And that morning, I believe it was Owen McDermott on 2FM had said that he wasn't comfortable playing the song. There were members of his team who were particularly upset by it. And so he was hoping to not do so, essentially. And I remember a colleague of mine, Paul Moore, had written a story about this. And fuck me. (laughs) Traffic on it all day from the readers of the site. Comments, vast majority, and I mean vast majority, being quite aggressive. Um, And that was the day, actually, of the office Christmas party, which I wasn't going to. So I was left in the office on my own uh, to fend off all these horrible comments. And then also, you know, I kind of created a rod for my own back, I guess, because I remember Stephen Byrne, the DJ with 2FM, spoke very eloquently about his own feelings in the situation and why the song upset him and, you know, gave a personal account, which I was like, well, that's totally fair and reasonable. So I wrote a quick news story about that. And unfortunately, it's fucking further petrol on the fire. And then that day, um, Ortiz sent us a statement directly saying that they would not be altering the song, they would not be censoring the song, and they would not not be playing it. So, you know, business as usual, really. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll put out that story and that'll be the end of this, right? The internet commentariat will climb down. No, they didn't. And I remember going home that night and writing and tweeting and saying that um, I never want to see the word snowflake ever again, as long as I live. Unfortunately, I have. But yeah. It's kind of a fuss about nothing, but people take this song incredibly seriously. I personally think the song is trash, regardless of its usage of whatever word that upsets people. Craig, you with me? No, I think it's a wonderful song in terms of, like, I think it's extremely well written. I think it's a classic for a reason. Now, uh, yeah, like, I don't need to hear it rolled out every Christmas. My exhaustion with this, like, narrative has now totally eclipsed my exhaustion with the song. And it goes back, you know way before even that Joe stuff that you had, where I remember one of my first like Radio Nova appearances on The Rock Report back in the Hot Press days, which is like going on 10 years ago now. One of my first kind of topics was like this, like this, this kind of controversy was there at that time. I think there was another one similarly around um, Dire Straits' Money for Nothing, which includes the same uh, word. And I actually remember on that segment, the guys from Nova being a bit too pleased with themselves, kind of playing the clip and being like, oh, we're edgy and snowflakes and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I was done with it then. I'm kind of done with it now. I think it's interesting how the BBC is handling this, where it's like, um, so Radio 1, which is like the pop station that the youngsters listen to, are trying not to offend people. But on Radio 2, it will still be played because that's an older audience and they don't mind offending people. And then my favourite bit is the line where it says, while six music DJs can choose between the two versions, because, you know, those six music, like, indie types or wild cards, they'll do, you can't rein in Steve Lamack. Um, So we're just getting to different levels of, like, uh, I don't know. You know, I'm always one for... uh, The banning of words always feels quite Orwellian to me, but that's not what this is. This is just broadcasters deciding what their audience will be comfortable with. Um, You have it like on TV with the watershed for certain content. I mean, there's no real radio watershed. So I guess this is a version of just cleaning it up slightly. You have rap songs constantly with usages of other words. Um, And I think crucially, the band themselves don't seem to have any problem with it whatsoever. I was just flicking through my phone there before the show and Lawrence Fox um, was outraged and the actor, Lawrence Fox, whose career has taken a nosedive uh, because he's just gone all alt-right. But he was saying, here we go again, the cultural commissars at the BBC telling you what is and what isn't appropriate for your ignorant little ears. 
And he was basically saying, wouldn't it be nice if we sent the proper version to the top of the charts? The Pogue's official Twitter account retweeted it, quote tweeted it with, fuck off, you little heron vogue shite. (laughs) 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 Which is beautiful. And is crude language used correctly and righteously. So yeah, I'm with the Pogue's on this one. Yeah, fair enough. And listen, I'm not here to fucking rain anyone's parade. I just don't like the song. I never have. Uh, totally I'm not fair. a fan of Christmas either, so it's kind of triggering in that regard for me as well. Um, I just don't like it. You know, like, it, it, you know, if you love it, great. That's no problem with me. This isn't, you know, the war on Christmas that I'm sure some people... <laughs> <laughs> That's the next story, you know. <laughs> but no, it's just like, it's, this is so... First of all, it's we're recording the show on the 19th of November. How is this already? Like, I woke up this morning and I was like... Because of people like... <laughs> Richard Chambers, <laughs> half the trio. <laughs> well, to his credit, he wasn't tweeting about this, but uh, <laughs> I think it was started by this whole BBC thing, which is just yeah. reflective of the RT thing. But yeah, you're right. It does go back a while. As a matter of fact, back in 2007, I think Radio 1 did censor it. And then that decision was swiftly reversed after an outcry by its fans. Um, Andy Parfit, who was the station's controller at the time, said that the U-turn was because audiences were, quote, smart enough to distinguish between maliciousness and creative freedom. And there was no, quote, negative intent behind the use of the words. Um, I know Shane McGowan commented on this in the last couple of years as well. And he explained, you know, well, it's about the characters and their, their characters of a certain time in a certain place. And this is how they would speak to one another. Like, it's not meant to be used as a slur towards an entire community of people and also if that community of people are upset by this we totally understand that mm. and that's not our, which is totally fair and i think ultimately you know that brings it back to the whole idea of like well if someone writes a story or makes a film or a television show and there's a character in there who commits atrocities or whatever does that mean the writer endorses this? I mean, like, obviously, like, it, the, the the work needs to have weight and balance. And listen, okay. I don't like the song. I playfully called it trash. I can appreciate that people love it and think it is a work of art. But yeah, we're just going to fucking do this year in, year out for the rest of our lives, aren't we? Yeah, I think we are. Uh, I agree with your point about, like, you know, trying to apply morality to fictitious characters is a bit dodge. Um but yeah, I'm I'm so sick of this. Someone, I guess, well versed in creating evocative fictional characters, such as I don't know, Jolene, maybe Dave, is Dolly Parton, well, savior of the Greg? world. <laughs> She's apparently quite the savior of the world. I don't know where you got this news story from, but it goes in quite strong. Um, and I'm a Dolly Parton fan. But we start with in the cosmic balance of the universe, Dolly Parton has long been a force for good gifting the world with her award-winning music and philanthropy, and now a vaccine for a virus that has paralysed the world and killed 1.2 million people. Um, She has not developed a vaccine, um, but her foundation, one of her foundations, has been funding research uh, in Vanderbilt University, which is, of course, in where, Dave? Nashville. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I'm pleased with myself because I only know that uh, after watching the Garth Brooks documentary after last week's good. show. I hear it's really good. It's incredible. The man is out of his mind. He's, you know, if he wasn't musically gifted, he would have been one of those like uh, wealthy pastors in like a kind of mega church, just rolling up with like a jewel encrusted white Cadillac. 
he's yeah it's well worth the watch oh yeah There's... you played that clip like, let the conversation begin oh my gosh yeah <laughs> i have to get so to it. good it's but definitely yeah dolly's doing dolly's doing good work it seems um there's this race at the moment it's like the space race you know it's very exciting everyone's trying to get a vaccine pfizer are out there moderna are out there you know it's 90 percent effective it's 94.5 percent effective it's 95 percent effective i don't know man all i'm saying is as soon as that thing's available i said to i said i said to richard there i was like if that thing comes in the form of a broken glass bottle i'm having two of them hook it to my fucking veins, hook it to my veins quite literally <laughs> quite literally but yeah listen let's have a let's have a a brief uh, i suppose word or two from dolly she was on the one show on the bbc this week the surreal sight of her being interviewed by former footballer jermaine genus but uh let's hear what dolly had to say for herself shall we you have had an incredible career as we know mm. the stats are incredible 10 grammys you've written three thousand songs you've sold a hundred million albums but this could be the most significant contribution you've made to the world yet. How did this whole funding of the vaccine come about then? Well, actually, when the pandemic started many months ago, I just kind of felt led to put some money into a program at Vanderbilt Hospital. It's a wonderful hospital here that's been so good to me and my family through the years. So I donated a million dollars and they called it the Dolly Parton COVID Fund. And so out of that, uh, they actually got more money and it just started developing and they were developing all these wonderful things. And so I just found out, uh, like I said, today, actually, that it was for real. That was part of the program that we helped start. I'm sure many, many millions of dollars by many people went into that. But I just felt so proud to have been pr- mm. uh, part of that little seed money that hopefully will grow into something great. And help to heal this world lord knows we need it don't Uh, we uh, uh, rightly so dolly i mean it's absolutely incredible what you've done i mean what was your reaction to waking up to realize that you was trending on twitter this morning though well i was just shocked i was already at work when i asked someone asked me i was doing interviews and they asked me on the air and i didn't hadn't didn't know at that time you know that it was for real and so i didn't want to say anything and they asked me about it and i thought well i need to check that out but if that's so i'm a very proud girl today to know that i had anything at all to do with something that's going to help us through this crazy pandemic uh, I just love Alex Jones as well there, but I just love that Jermaine Genus is like, it's, it's impossible. Like, he has the football pundit voice, right? And he is good. Oh, man. Like, like, he's, yeah, uh, like, 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 he's, he's casual as you like. Yeah, like apparently he's been on the one show for a while now interviewing like non-football types, so fair play to him. Um, but yeah, but the way just, he's like so dolly, it like he might as well be talking to Alan Shearer about like a dodgy VAR decision or something. Yeah, completely, or like a free kick, you know, it's just like, yeah. take us back here. But uh, yeah, so Dolly Parton, uh, saviour of the world apparently, hailed by everyone. This is around like Tuesday or so, remains to be seen really how effective this vaccine will be if it gets over the line, but also... You know, everyone. So you'll like, reserve your praise. Is that what you're saying? Well, I just feel like you know, people in the Twitter world that we live in react very fast to things, and everyone was like, "She's amazing," and like Dolly Parton seems cool. Don't get me wrong, but then I did see a lot of people, man, the whole milkshake duck phenomenon coming to the fore. But they were like, "Well, she actually, uh, the people who work at Dolly World or whatever the fuck it's called, are treated terribly and paid awfully." So oh, really? Like, oh, I just, I big... just don't know. I don't know what to think, man. She gave a million dollars to save the world. That seems like a good thing. She seems sound. I don't have the full story and I'm not willing to dig too deep because I need a good news story right now. And the vaccine, as opposed to the vaccines, could in fact be the thing, you know? How do you feel about it? You happy? About the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, all the reports seem... I, I, I just say it's not Dolly World, it's Dollywood. Okay. It's such a brilliant pun. We can't... That's not, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. Would Dolly you ever visit sounds... Dollywood? Uh, no. I mean, if it was like one of those journo trips that I don't go on anymore, then yeah, for sure. But I'm not, it's not like my life's goal to go to a theme park that I fucking didn't get the name right of. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling confident about the vaccines. I think they're all going to work and I'm going to take a cocktail of them all and I'm going to hit the streets <laughs> by Christmas Day. In those disco boots that we love so, so well. Um, okay, so also in the news this week, closer to home, Irish artists may finally be treated as human beings. A universal income scheme for artists has been recommended by the Arts and Culture Recovery Task Force, headed up by the Minister for Arts, Catherine Martin, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, like... I don't know how I feel about this. I've seen a lot of people saying, like, it's about fucking time. Artists should, of course, be allowed, you know, to not have to just fucking have meetings with stern dole officers who don't take them seriously. They should be given a wage. They should be given the opportunity to, you know, pay their rent and not worry about that while also focusing on their art. But I have also seen some opposition from this from Irish artists. I've talked to some people during the week um, and a couple of them kind of expressed the idea that, no, um, this isn't actually as great as it seems. There are other more worthy causes in need of the money. And also, you know, in terms of, I guess, your own kind of place in the world, I don't like some artists have basically like have, to my surprise, and I've kind of rejected the idea of this and they're like, we'd rather struggle. That's not a direct quote, but it's kind of the inference I'm getting. I, on paper, I was like, this looks great, but maybe there's more to it, Craig. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you talk about a pilot scheme of like universal basic income for artists. I think it's, we should be looking at it for everyone, Dave. Call me a radical. Call me a communist. I'm part of the Yang gang. Fucking Uh, Bernie Sanders over here, huh? The robots should be helping us live easier lives at this point, Dave. I'm sick of being squeezed for profits by the likes of big tech. Um, Yeah, it's interesting you say that about musicians. I can see how they might see a situation where, yes, it's a bit of a boost. It helps them have a bit of security, but it totally changes the way they're perceived and the way they can work and... I think one of the benefits of it, though, might just be changing the name of financial support from something like being on the dole or being on the scratch. Because, you know, we've seen the benefits of these kind of supports with artists for decades. I mean, you look at the 70s and 80s, the UK, and they brought in um, welfare and it just resulted kind of indirectly or directly in an explosion of great bands who've long said that they wouldn't have got anywhere, essentially, if they didn't have that support. Um so yeah, I think I think giving people support does breed great creativity. And we've talked before about not wanting a situation where the only people that can afford to be creative or get any moment in the spotlight are like wealthy middle class to upper middle class people. Um, so it sounds good to me, but uh, yeah, the, there's complexities there, which I don't really understand as someone that isn't like a struggling artist. Um, yeah, there's the also there's also potentially the argument that like this might actually favor existing upper middle class people as opposed to the working class. And again, I don't know enough about yeah. it. And ultimately, I think it's one to keep an eye on for now. And I would like to maybe talk to some artists in the coming months and just see how it's developing and how they think about it. Because, you know, it looks like a good news story. It probably is. I don't want to, you know, make a blanket statement either way. Obviously, I want, especially like, you know, we have lots of artist friends and you want them to be supported and not to be fucking under the cosh of, you know, like just basic, you know, rent and food money while also hopefully focusing on their art. But, you know, I don't know, maybe there's more to it than that. 
I, I worry that I'm coming across like a fucking Tory over here. <laughs> just like, I don't know, Craig, maybe we shouldn't give them money. Um, well, I guess- you know, Dave, we, we shouldn't support artists in all their endeavours. For example, appearing on a Sam Tripoli podcast to talk about Flat Earth and their beliefs that vaccines have never, ever worked. I'm looking at you, Deftone Stephen Carpenter. Um, are we cancelling another one, Dave? <laughs> Uh, uh, I jest because I hate that word, but I mean, just last week you were messaging me with like a white pony special edition vinyl that looked amazing. Um, did you purchase? Is that cancelled now? Is that yeah, cancelled? I guess to like pick up white pony on vinyl, even though I still don't have a record player, of course. But yeah, Stephen Carpenter. I mean, ugh, this is just becoming all too common, isn't it? Um, he's on this fucking podcast, right? Uh, Tinfoil Hat podcast, very good, and said that the Earth is flash, no vaccine has ever been created expressing doubt about the seriousness of the pandemic like this is one of the stories where like yes i picked it i don't want to talk too much about it because i feel like giving these guys airtime is is probably the wrong thing to do um mm. it's it's more than i mean i think we should at least th- talk about the fact that he says dinosaurs never roamed the earth yeah that, to which i'm fair. like he, he said that we're living in a matrix-like simulation outer space doesn't exist and dinosaurs never happened i mean <laughs> like my <what? laughs> The thing that upsets me most about all this stuff of late, particularly with like the conspiracy world crossing over to like Trump and QAnon and vaccine stuff and like actually dangerous stuff is, you know me, Dave, like I I used to love the likes of Coast to Coast. I kind of refuse to give up on like fun, wacky conspiracies because they're just like very entertaining to listen to people go off on them. But they've just seemed to be like they've been contaminated um, by some pretty dodgy stuff. The flat earth thing just doesn't... I don't understand. It's the same as the dinosaurs not existing thing. What is the reason for the fabrication? Like, why? what is the conspiracy behind it? And obviously, you know, there's no credence in anything else he was saying. If you just look at his quotes, he's kind of saying, I know for a fact, like, I know in myself that, I, you know, I'm not on a spinning ball going through outer space. It's like, oh, brilliant. Okay, fair enough. Good point. Well made. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> such nonsense. <laughs> yeah, he also, you know, talks about the pandemic as well and people wearing masks and says, you know, uh, everyone's got their little favourite logo matching their outfits. It's like a clown show. Please stop your embarrassing yourself. Now, as someone who has bought bespoke masks uh, throughout this pandemic, like, you know, cool ones, I took that very personally. Uh, he then did follow up say that it's no disrespect to those who've fallen ill and even those who've died. Sounds like disrespect to me. Um, he says it's all mental trickery. You know, it was a two-week event and now it's forever. Thank you to all your mask wearers for making this permanent good job. Yeah, thanks, mask wearers, for real. It's good that you're not trying to kill people. Uh, the inevitable update, though, of course, he appeared on another podcast, the Dr. Green Thumb podcast, which I'm not familiar with. Sounds great. Said he never had the intention to upset anybody in any way with my opinions. He said, I was just giving my opinions, you know, uh, for anyone's experience in any way, not to upset or offend you. People were a bit rough boy what I said. All my love, sorry, apologies. But there was no actual, like, retraction of his beliefs. Just, like, they're just my opinions and I'm sorry they upset you. So yeah. it's like, I don't know, man. I'm just fucking, like... Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to fully cancel Deftones yet just because one guy said something stupid. Um, someone who, of course, has been cancelled several <laughs> times over but just keeps coming back for more is Morrissey. He's been dropped Yay. by his record label this week, Craig, citing diversity as a problem. Uh, he was on BMG. He had a three-album deal. They released the three albums and didn't renew his contract. I don't know how you know dramatic that is. It seems like fair enough. But he put out another post on his website, which... Uh, I don't visit because you know <laughs> was was the was, citing diversity. He wasn't referring to the British street dance troupe, was he? Unfortunately, not. No. Oh, uh, okay. That would have been a better said, story. He talks about you know just like 
the record label, they say they don't want another Morrissey album. He said, this news is perfectly in keeping with the relentless galvanic horror of 2020. Uh, we would be critically insane to expect anything positive. My three albums with BNG have been the best of my career and I stand by them till death. Recording them has been a pivotal period in my life. And I thank the previous BMG team and everyone involved. It's still important for me to do music my own way. I wouldn't want to be on a label that dictates so specific how their artists should behave, especially when the uh, words talent is notably never mentioned. Uh, BMG put out a statement of their own uh, to Pitchfork and said, we've released three exceptional top 10 albums from Morrissey over the past three years, including some of the best work of his career. That deal has now come to an end. We wish him well in the next chapter of his career. So... I feel like it's a fuss about nothing. And like I say, there was like, he did take a shot at diversity, you know, like heaven forbid, you know, you make room for someone else that isn't Morrissey in 2020. You know, I think there's numerous reasons why you might think about dropping Morrissey for years. Like we've been seeing these stories about falls in and out of favor with labels. He like sacks teams and he just seems like a nightmare to work with, even getting away from his public pronouncements. Um, yeah, the company I feel sorry for is Penguin. Do you remember he obviously released his memoir with Penguin and one of the provisos was that it was instantly a Penguin classic. So that's now forever enshrined as just like instant classic um, on shelves everywhere right now. Morrissey. Uh, it's got that really beautiful ending though, Craig, which we talk about all the time, which was very, very nice. It's a very well-written book. I mean, he's he's a talented dude until you get to um, the court case, of course, which is just like... It's a large segment of just him settling old scores and get getting into like courtroom minutia. But um yeah, not as bad as what was to come. I'll still yeah, I think listen to Morrissey. I don't think he's fully cancelled for me. Do you know it's that's something I guess we can talk about on the Q&A episode, because that's one of the questions right. we did get was, how do we feel about, you know, cancelable artists and such? Uh, it's complex. I think, you know, each case can be unique and different. We'll talk about it. Don't cancel us just yet. Stay with us, please. Uh, especially for an update on System of a Down. He talked about last week on the show. Um, they actually released a couple of songs uh, a couple of weeks ago, which were very, very good, better than I thought they would be. And I was like, oh, cool. Maybe they're going to build towards an album. I wonder what they're going to do about that drummer situation. But they're not building towards an album, it doesn't seem. It was for charity. Uh, I think for like an Armenian charity. Um, they, uh, yeah, they're, they're not getting along really, essentially, is the problem. Their guitarist, Darren Malakian, uh, said it's a shame that they're unable to put aside their new differences and make a new album. Uh, they're struggling to maintain any significant time in each other's company. Obviously, you talked about how Serge, the frontman, and John, the drummer, are related by marriage now. And also, uh, John's a big fucking Trump guy, which is a shame. Yeah. But what are you going to do about it? But yeah, so Darren Malkin was saying that um, it's not that simple. I've been making a new album. I wish it was. It should be. It gets a little bit more complicated than that. I don't want to get into it. Well, it's because of this person and this person. We did these new songs for a noble reason, for the right reasons. We didn't make any money off of it. It was totally for the noble reason of our country needing us to do something. And he says, I do walk away. And I say, it's a shame that certain things can't come together to make a new album happen. So... Yeah, I mean, like, it becomes a bigger problem, the whole uh, drummer who is still very much out there uh, supporting Donald Trump, saying the election is fucking stolen, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think, ultimately, someone's political beliefs, when they don't harm someone, you know, like, I can probably get past it. But I think when you're in a band like System of a Town, uh, yeah. like, that's where it becomes really fucked up and just hypocritical and just the tonal, the cognitive dissonance where it's like, 
this isn't fucking, I don't know, like Mudvayne, you know, it's System of a Town. It's a band that have propelled themselves forward with such political fervour and have managed to skewer the particularly the right-wing elements of the world so well. And then you're like, oh, fuck, the drummer's a Trump guy and a committed Trump guy? Like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like to live in America. I'm, I'm glad I don't know at the moment because it seems like it's a very difficult place to be. But like... I don't know. I just feel like if you're in this kind of a band, I think you might have mentioned Rage Against the Machine last week. It's like there are certain bands where you're like, you can't be doing that, Chief. It, like it alters the fabric of the work and how as a listener you perceive it. And I think it comes back to that, right? How does it alter your experience of what they're doing? And yeah, totally. Like I remember when I first got into the Ramones, it used to always be like a running joke that Johnny Ramone was pretty right wing and just completely at odds with everyone else in the band. And back then it was kind of seen as like, like a joke of just like, oh, somehow they made it work. But of course, the Ramones were just doing songs about like, I don't know, sniffing glue and like being a punk rocker. I suppose that speaks to class and different parts. Everything is political, Dave. But yeah, it didn't It didn't kind of strike at the heart of what the band was about. It was just kind of like a footnote. But with System of a Down, so intrinsic. Uh, I can totally understand why fans and band members couldn't quite get past it. So yeah, not creative diff- differences, political differences. It's a weird one. Yeah, looks like that album isn't meant to be just now. Something that also wasn't meant to be was Glastonbury this year, of course. One of the many festivals, I mean, I guess every festival was probably pretty much cancelled uh, this year for obvious reasons. Uh, it was going to be their 50th anniversary. The headliners were Kendrick Lamar, Paul McCartney and Taylor Swift. Rolling Stone have a Musicians on Musicians issue out at the moment. On the front cover is Paul McCartney and Taylor Swift, arm in arm. Practically, they don't look too socially distanced. I hope everyone's okay. Uh, they had this kind of Q&A interview and they talked about how... They're really looking forward to playing at the 50th anniversary. And there's this really stagey exchange where Swift goes, wow, it would have been so fun to play Glastonbury for the 50th anniversary together. McCartney, it would have been great, wouldn't it? And I was going to be asking you to play with me. Swift, were you going to invite me? (laughs) What? I was hoping that you would. I was going to ask you. And then McCartney just goes, I would have done Shake It Off. She's like, oh, that would have been amazing. He's like, I know, it's in C. So fair play to them. Oh, that is the most McCartney line ever. I know, it's in C. <laughs> you know, it's in C. Yeah. Rock you it, shake man. it off, mate. So yeah, like they're gonna they were gonna perform together, and it would have been amazing, of course. But it's not happening. Um, but you know, nice. Kanye wouldn't have been pleased. Former collaborator of Paul McCartney. <laughs> What's that about, mate? Uh, I, I was. I found myself thinking over the weekend. I was like, yeah. Fuck it. I wish I was at a festival. For all my crowing, you know. Even Glasto. Even Glasto. famously said you'd never go to Glastonbury. I know, but I I feel like if, again, someone has to provide the flights and accommodation, but like, um, (laughs) if somebody wants to send me to Glastonbury next year, where I've said I would never go, I'll do it. Uh, I'll go as well. Yeah. Send us all. Send Adam as well. Someone out there. No encore does Glasto. How long do you think we'd last (laughs) before we like hated everything? I'd say I'd take about six hours. Yeah. I mean... uh, I've never been, but it sounds so massive and like there's different vibes and stuff. You could just go off to, like you've had Reiki done before, Dave. You could go and get spiritual and get your aura cleansed and then return refreshed, no? Yeah, we all know how well that worked. You can hear it in my voice these days. Um, Taylor Swift, however, something she can't shake off, Craig, is legal troubles. Uh, Scooter Braun, who seems like a bit of a fucking lizard in human form, uh, allegedly, don't sue me, Scooter Braun, he sold her masters to a new company, I believe. And there's been talk of this before. Obviously, she's talked about the fact that she's probably going to re-record all of her old songs as a way to try and get around this. It's quite, you know, unprecedented and certainly in modern times. Um, 
So yeah. there's a new company called Shamrock Holdings, and this deal was made for over $300 million. Taylor Swift on Twitter put out a statement saying that she never got the chance to really get involved here and, you know, buy her songs back, essentially. Um, she said that there was a, a situation where maybe she could have got them, but she would have had to sign a non-disclosure agreement um, prohibiting her from talking about Scooter Braun unless it was unless it was like a positive statement. So that was, you know, put the XNA on that immediately. She said, my legal team said that this is absolutely not normal. They've never seen an NDA like this presented unless it was to silence and accuse it by paying them off. He wouldn't quote my team a price and these master recordings were not for sale to me. She said that she was contacted and once she learned that he was still involved, she was like, no, this is a non-starter for me. So she put out a letter to them, put it up on Twitter. Obviously, everyone's behind her. She is currently still recording or re-recording rather her old songs, says that the process is going well. And it's a weird situation to be in. I mean, like, I feel like she's winning here, but I don't know the legalese. I, I, I like it's, it's such a strange... I don't know, maybe I'm wrong here, but like oftentimes when you see these kind of battles in particular, it's it's to do with like the estate of someone who has passed away, whereas Taylor Swift is like obviously not letting this fucking happen, which is great, you know, and I absolutely hope that she does come out on top here. But are we going to end up in, in some weird, bizarre situation where like all of her albums are redone, but the existing ones are out there as well? And what's on Spotify and well, what isn't? Yeah, and- it seems like we're going to. And bands have done that before. Um I think Def Leppard might be the most famous example of re-recording all their stuff. I don't know how successful it's been in the past where it's like, if I go and search for Def Leppard on Spotify, which I'm not really want to do, do I get their new stuff immediately or do I have to search it out as some weird alternative mix? You would assume with the kind of power of Taylor's fan base, um, which in this case could be maybe... um, used for good, they would get behind a campaign to ensure that that becomes the most popular um, content. Uh, It depends on, like, I've no doubt she'll record the stuff spot on, probably improve bits here and there. And I, for one, would always kind of back the artist if they want us to listen to those versions. So, yeah, I do think she'll, she'll come out on top. Obviously, she's, you know, relatively speaking, very near the start of her career. There'll be bigger albums to come that Scooter Braun won't have any input or, like, gain anything from. So, yeah, I I know you can say, like, legally he's doing nothing wrong, he had a fair share in this stuff, but it always kind of... Something a bit grimy and grubby about the fact that he's making so much money just as, like, an investment in stuff he had creatively nothing to do with. So, fuck him. (laughs) Yeah, fuck him. It's been a good good year for music, right? I think it's been a good year for music. That's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to our upcoming end of year list, which we'll be doing in the middle of December. Uh, It's been a good year for pop music as well, and a a good year for the big names in pop music, I would say. Taylor Swift, perhaps being one of them. Dua Lipa, perhaps being one of them. I don't want to say too much now, because I don't know how it's all going to shake out at the end of the year. But... Future Nostalgia was certainly one of the most enjoyable, I think, straight up pop records of, of, of the year. So Dua Leap is obviously her own kind of brand machine as well, uh, evidenced by the fact that she will be a playable character in FIFA 21, which is already out, but they're getting like an, it's getting a new update, which brings some celebrity faces to the field, including DJ Snake, Dua Lipa and David Beckham, who, I mean, you know, like, how revolutionary is that, really? <laughs> like... <laughs> David Beckham, really? I thought they had like oldies teams, no? Is he not in like the England, the vintage England 2002 squad or something? I haven't bought a FIFA game in a long time, so I don't quite know. These are the kind of updates you're getting, Dave, so maybe you don't need it. DJ Snake reminds me. Um, 
<laughs> There's a song with Lil John called Turn okay. Down for What right. that I think. Oh, that's DJ Snake. Okay. I think DJ Snake is involved with that's that. That's a great yeah. song. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know. It could be anyone. Your, your, your definition of the word great might be called into question there, but it's uh, it's a bit of fun. I think we can agree. <laughs> like, so, great fun. Great we settle fun. on great fun. Let's settle on great fun, man. Let's not fall out over DJ Snake and Turn Down for What. So here's the thing, right? Uh, Dua Lipa is going to be in the game. It's a, it's a, obviously a marketing thing. Everyone's happy, except for a lot of people who aren't, because for the vast majority, like female footballers aren't really in the game. Um, they're only in there. Like women's football is only really represented at international level. So you got like England and the US national team and such and such. But like, it's it's not really like there in terms of domestic clubs, and you can't play in ultimate team and that kind of stuff. So. I think some people are understandably pissed off that, like, this is such a big flex for them to market, where it's like, well, you haven't actually given us the basics, you know? And, like, women's football yeah. has more coverage right now at both international and domestic level than it's ever had before. A lot of media outlets are making a very, big, very, very big effort to, you know, expand it. Clubs themselves, I know United only, I think my United only recently properly started putting... Like two years ago, started a women's team. It's something outrageous. For one of the biggest for, yeah. clubs in the entire world. Yeah. Like it's, and they are, like, I know Megan Rapino was critical of this just last week, I think it was. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a long time coming, and, like, it's not... We're a long way away from the fucking days of those two scumbags in Sky Sports laughing at the women's game. Um, the Women's World Cup, when that was on, was it last year? It was so fucking good. Was it this year? I can't remember. <laughs> like this It was year, last so... year. It had to be last year. Oh, man. I, I don't think it, this year could contain any more stuff happening, right? It must have been Even you saying Dua Lipa's album was this year, I was like, oh God, it was, wasn't it? I know. My brain's like an eternity ago. But yeah, no, it's like, it's just, I think it's quite poor form for FIFA, considering it's FIFA, you know, it's like, you have so, all Hold on, so essentially, like, if you, if you, what does this mean? It means, like, if you start a career mode as a player, you can essentially have the likeness of Dua Lipa, but then you're in, like, the male game? Is that essentially what's happening? I don't I presume so. Because, I, don't, yeah. I, I just saw some footage of her scoring a goal in a Tottenham jersey. So I guess Mourinho is the one who's going to be coaching her. Jesus. Which is just a, a no-win situation for trash. her. Like, I mean, yeah, it's like, I, like, you don't want to see that happen. Gareth fucking... <laughs> Especially know, how much Mourinho good. talks about having balls. He's constantly just going on about, you need balls. It's like the one quality he needs in a player. And it's like, I don't even understand what you mean by this, Mourinho, but you've won some stuff and I'll go along with it because you're entertaining. Okay, and we'll go along and we'll close off our jam-packed news section this week by throwing to the next generation of rockers, Craig. That's right, those pesky kids in their video games. How about their rock bands? The sons of Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash, Metallica bassist Robert Trujillo, and Stone Temple pilot Scott Weiland have formed their own band. The name of the band is Suspect 208. The new song is called Long Awaited, and it sounds like this. indecipherable desert rock angst horrendous <laughs> not a fan no the hell was that the vocals <laughs> were atrocious the fact it's called long awaited as well and it's their debut single is so obnoxious 
That's pretty good now. I, I, I like that. Uh, Slash's 18-year-old oh. son, who is the drummer of the band, I think, uh, announced the release on Instagram. Where else? That's wise. With, with a photograph of himself. Uh, there's a member of the band who isn't related to a famous person, but Slash's son said, we got more shit coming soon. So that's pretty good, right? Um, not happy about this now. Not excited for the lads. Um, yeah, I wish them well, I guess. I don't know what they're like personally. It's always tough being the son of a rock star, as we know. Paul McCartney, we're just chatting about him and his oh, son, James. Jesus Christ, that um, clip. Yeah, that clip is something else. So lots of traumas <laughs> being visited upon uh, the offspring of rock stars over the years. So, yeah, I, I wish them well. The one guy you say who isn't uh, related to a famous rock star is um, the guitarist. He's got a rock star name, Nico Zangaris. So I presume that was why he was included in the lineup. <laughs> um, of course. But yeah, you got to make I, I, these, these smart decisions, you know? I do like the fact Slash's son is like, I'm not going to bother with guitar. Just give me the drums. Do you know what I mean? That's the move, right? Just mix it up slightly because I know Jake Clemens has been great carrying on from Clarence and the East Street Band. Um, Zach Starkey's a decent drummer, but you're just on a hiding to nothing generally if you're being completely compared to your father. Well, Slipknot's drummer is the son of the drummer from the E Street Band, so he's done all right for himself, I think. That's probably fair to say. But no, let's see how these guys do. Uh, You know, I will say that when I listened to this on Spotify, it automatically played Slither by Velvet Revolver afterwards, and I was like, yeah, that's how it's done. (laughs) <laughs> that's how it's done lads that one the song algorithms. I like by that band uh, before we uh, hit our album review quick shout out to Kylie who you reviewed last week um, she has quite the accolade she has become according to this news story that I've I've cultivated Craig from the internet the first female artist to have number one albums in Britain across five decades as disco topped the charts she said that sounds crazy to me I'm 52 years of age uh, but you know she's happy about it Fair play to her, and everyone's happy for her. Five decades. Yeah. Um, I suppose because it's like, so her her career really blossomed as a pop star in the very late 80s, and we're at the very start of the 20s, so, you know, it's it's not 50 years, it's 30 years and a bit, you know, so... Five decades, Dave. Count how many times you hear that said. Truth is, it's simply 30 years and a bit. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because, I mean, like, obviously... 2021 is just around the corner which means i'll have been alive for is that also five decades 80s 90s 2000s 10s yeah it's 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 upsetting but i'm not 50 or 52 (laughs) richard chambers is happy birthday richard (laughs) all right that's the new section extra long this week because fuck it why not Um, and lots of other podcasts though if this one's not to your liking if you want one about i don't know books and words and stuff uh the great connor reed from headstuff has one and it sounds a bit like this i'm connor reed with words to that effect how do the victorians invent time where do all those pirate cliches come from should we all read romance novels? Why are kids so obsessed with dinosaurs? What makes the perfect detective story? What happens to culture and society in a post-apocalyptic world where everything has stopped? Words to that effect tell stories of the fiction that shapes popular culture. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts and at WTTEpodcast.com. Okay, now, maybe you prefer something even different, something with a bit of rock and roll energy, maybe a bit familiar, I don't know. It's ACDC, they're back, they have a new album, it's called Power Up, and it sounds pretty much like what you think it would, but let's take a listen anyway.
That's Realize there. It's the opening minute and a bit of Power Up, the new album from ACDC. It's out about a week. A band that needs no introduction. Here to give us an introduction is Craig Fitzpatrick. This is really necessary. Yeah, ACDC. Um, an iconic hard rock band from Australia, with like a heavy dose of Scottish in there. And an incredible mythology longevity for a kind of outfit that's based on pretty elementary components. Um, so iconic that you can literally just post a lightning bolt in a WhatsApp group and, okay, Dave, you didn't immediately think of ACDC when I suggested this. I thought it was with the lightning bolt. I was like, for fuck's sake, yeah, get a new obsession. But, <laughs> but some people would, and they might just be the people that are still taking an interest along with us this week as they release their 17th album. Um, first in six years and maybe, maybe their last ever, which was one reason I suggested this. Um, the guitarist, songwriter Angus Young has suggested more could follow, but it seems like it might just be kind of odds and sods stuff. You never know. They never know when they're kind of out. You could argue they're a band with like that had one great idea, maybe two at a push or a variation at a push 40 years ago. And they've like been testing its potency ever since. And that's kind of like the old joke about ACDC. Um, you know, what's this new album sound like? All, all the other ones. Um, I think maybe that does them a slight disservice just in that they're like kind of, they have a great spirit about them. They've been survivors, which is part of that myth. Um, so if people don't know, their original singer, Bon Scott, passed away less than I think nine months after they released Highway to Hell in the late 70s, which was like them teaming up with Mutt Lang and just really hitting the big time. Um following on from that tragedy, like remarkably this kind of carefree boogie metal band regrouped with um, another Scot, Brian Johnson. He of the strangled demon voice you heard just there. And they created a kind of somehow even more legendary record, Back in Black, which is amazing. I was listening to it this week, actually, and it's kind of celebrates Scott's life. Uh, it feels like an utterly kind of metal triumph, like um, over debt. It doesn't take itself seriously, but it has kind of gravitas, big Angus riffs and... Um, yeah, that really set them up. And like lots of songs of that ilk followed. Um, over the years, there's been kind of slightly less emotional and dramatic rebirths, certainly commercially, um, when they started the 90s with the likes of Thunderstruck. But I guess since then, they've mainly been a live proposition, right? So you go and see Angus dressed in the school uniform. You go to see the Cannons. It's like they're a big party band, essentially. Um, and it feels like the party might be starting to wrap up. So a bit of context for this record. Power Up's kind of like another Lazarus act. Um, their bassist Cliff Williams told the band he was retiring after the last tour, which had ended with Axl Rose having to step in for Johnson, who was seriously going deaf. Um, the drummer Phil Rudd didn't make that tour. He got himself in um, what Axel, or what Angus was calling a bit of a pickle, which was him pleading guilty to charges of threatening to kill his assistant and possession of cannabis. All right, and meth. Um, <laughs> Founding member Malcolm Young has sadly passed away. He'd stepped back himself due to dementia. And yet, here we are. Here they are. Phil Rudd has been rehabilitated, by all accounts. Uh, they have a nephew, Young, on rhythm guitar. Brian has recovered his hearing thanks to experimental prosthetic eardrums he's had inserted. And, like, Angus has pulled them together to see what they could do with, like, a pool of riffs uh, himself and Malcolm were left with before, kind of, time ran out for Malcolm. So... It's a record kind of, of resilience. It's about their bond. Um, they've talked about electricity being in the air, Malcolm being in the studio. It's kind of like a back back and black, you know, take two in that sense. History repeating. Dave, I'm intrigued what you made of this because, you know, they're so familiar. I suspect, like me, 
they're not also that familiar in the sense I've, apart from Back in Black, I hadn't listened through full EP, LPs. I didn't know what to expect from the full run. How did you find Power Up? I mean, you know, similar for me, I have never knowingly really listened to an ACDC album from start to finish because yeah. I know what I'm getting and it's not really my thing. I'm not allergic to it, but I, I don't love it. You know, it's just like, I appreciate that there are legions of people who do. Uh, it's funny, you mentioned Phil Rudd there. That was a fucking Radio Nova story that I do remember doing back in the My Rock Report days. You miss those days, <laughs> don't you? Simpler times. You do. Um, and yeah, I don't want to damn with faint praise here. And I don't want to be patronising to ACDC or their fans. Because like, there's room for this, right? There's absolutely room for a surface level rock band in the world and who just serve you up tasty riffs and, you know, a good night out. That's fine. But at the same time, I mean, talk about an album that held no surprises, you know? I mean, that's like, even like the first, yeah. the first 10 seconds, there he is doing his thing and there's the big riff and it's like, cool. Uh, one thing I do really enjoy about this album is the fact that like, it's the ultimate, uh, certainly in, in recent memory for me, the ultimate example of like, I'm listening to a song, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, I bet if I guess what it's called based on the lyrics that are being repeated here quite a bit, I've, I've got a fairly good chance of getting it and like yeah 12 times out of 12 with tracks like you know shot in the dark kick you when you're down demon fire money shot witch's spell code red it's like fucking hell lads this is amazing this is like an acdc song generator but like they are themselves a generator right and that's the whole point this is meant to be a celebration and maybe a full stop or certainly some kind of you know part way bringing down of the curtain and I think in that regard, they do what they do very, very well. But it is just the same song over and over again, right? Yeah, pretty much. And I, you know, I usually steer clear of reviews for these albums. Um, but I actually went to Metacritic just to kind of clear some stuff up. Um, because a lot of the reviews were, and a lot of what I was hearing was like, it's, you know, it's a return to form. It's like their best album since the late 80s. Um, I've got a, a couple of snippets of reviews here for you, Dave, just to see the kind of consensus that was forming around it. Um, in a postmodern age of irony and cynicism, ACDC reliably delivered a goods, solid blues-based rock and roll that gets the blood pumping and the air guitar strumming. You might feel like you've heard it all before, and you probably have, but it'll still rock. Simply put, ACDC went in and kicked out the proverbial jams, crafting their best album in years and igniting a spark of joy into the stark timeline that is now. And that's actually a smattering of views um, around their last three albums. <laughs> so <laughs> that was Rocker Bust, um, Power Up and Black Ice, which was like a big comeback for them in 2008. Um, so I had to see, I had to see if like if this one really was the return to form. So I went above and beyond and I actually went back to Rocker Bust and I went back to Black Ice and I can confirm that this one is actually the best of their latter-day albums. So Rocker Bust is, um, it's fine. There's a clunker by track four. It's a bit more lumpen. It's a bit more cartoonish. Um, there's a couple of kind of embarrassing numbers that I don't think are here. Black Ice is, like, it was long-awaited, it's exciting, it gets out to a great start, it's kind of a classic and rock and roll train, but it's really long, and then, like, I think the last four songs are all, like, she likes rock and roll, rock and roll dream, rocking all the way. So, um, yeah, this one is the one, and I think it's the best produced one. Um, they worked with Brendan O'Brien, who I think I re recently criticised for his work with E Street Band, but I think he does a good job here. Um... And I think they managed to tap into that like ephemeral thing that is ACDC because it is such simple music that it's, 
it's that kind of X factor that they have, I suppose. I don't know if they're like buoyed by trying to do Malcolm Proud, you know, all that kind of spiritual stuff about him being in the room, um, whether it kind of s- stirred a fire in them. Um, but it it kind of worked for me here. Um, now that said, all the riffs aren't that great. I think Angus's well is a bit dry. I know they had like a pool of stuff that they were still working on, but I mean, you've heard a lot of these before. They haven't evolved whatsoever. And I think at that point, at this point, it's like part of the charm, right? That they don't have like a big ballad. The closest they get is True the Mists of Time, which is kind of like a bit of nostalgia mixed in. And that actually works really well for me. I think there's something kind of special there. I think the backing vocals work really nicely on that. But yeah, it's this push and pull where like at its best, you can you can forget how much the songs remind you of classic songs like the first time around and you can just kind of get lost in the fun of them but then the very next track might be so uninspired that you're immediately wishing it was a slightly better song and you know something like you get through through the mists of time and you're like wow they're really exciting and they capture something and you're getting nostalgic and it's actually quite heartfelt and then a song like kick you when you're down and yes dave the lyrics don't help where you're just like this is just kind of very standard blues stuff the, you know, the, even the solos aren't that inspired. But it held my attention. It's concise enough. Demon Fire is like, it's a bit of a belter. Like, there's a few kind of belters that I think you can add to the greatest hits, which I don't think you can say for the last cu- couple of records. And yeah, it's, again, not to be like patronising, but it's hats off to them for pulling something out of the bag at this point. Like, I love the fact that Angus Young is like, you know, we've got, you know, we're up against it. Such adversity coronavirus is happening but what the world really needs is 12 more blues rock songs from us (laughs) we need to get the band back together against all odds and i think that magical kind of thinking is like has kept them going for decades and they're a likable band right like when you think of the stuff they inspired and like the glam rock and a lot of the obnoxious kind of airhead rockers pop rock stuff that was out there they're just a bit more down to earth they're a bit more tongue-in-cheek and i'm glad they're still around well, I mean, I got to figure, like, especially, yeah, the year that's in it, etc. If you're a fan of the band, great. Like, this is good, right? I mean, like, it's going to fucking kick you up, I suppose. But, like, I just, I'm always curious about, like, bands like this, these legacy acts where I'm like, how do you as a fan even distinguish things? I, I read some of the Guardian comments of all places, you know, and, like, lots of ACDC fans are congregating there and they're saying stuff like, you know, in time, guys, I've got a feeling about this one. I've got a feeling it's going to go down. Yeah. It's like the, uh, these are going to be some of their classic songs. And I'm like, I don't know enough to to dispute this. But really, now, to be fair, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm, I am worried that I'm like, ah, oh, fair play, lads. But like, it's it's very big sounding as it should be. They don't sound like they're on the way out at all. It sounds, you know, like an ACDC album that could have been recorded fucking two decades ago. I don't know. Um it's just the genre, right? I'm just it's just not for me this kind of surface level. And I'm I'm thinking about surface level songs where it's like, you know, the, the playlist I made for Patreon this week, patreon.com slash noancore. I put together like fifty songs, um mostly of like kind of surface level stuff that I really like where I don't have to think too much about it. So there's definitely an yeah. argument to be made for that. I'm glad that they don't fucking wander into maudlin ballad territory. It's just here's twelve bangers. But at the same time, I don't know, I mean like how can you how can you connect to this if you can't connect to this, right? Yeah. Um, I was actually lurking in the comment section of the, the Guardian review as well. I plucked out a quote because I was trying to get to the bottom of that very thing of like, how do the fans even approach this music? How do they distinguish? How do they see the wood from the trees? And there was an interesting one of the top comments was, um, it was actually a criticism of this album. 
Uh, it was a Dan Layton and he was saying, I can't help feeling that it sounds a bit like Stevie, um, who's replaced Malcolm, and Angus Young are stroking the guitar rather than digging into it. It's a subtle thing, but if you're a rhythm guitarist, this will make sense. It's not enough to play and swing the chords and riffs in time. You've got to play them like you mean it. And then he goes on to talk more and more about the various little aspects of it. And he says, this is all sounding a bit pretentious, I know, but ACDC music is a lot harder to copy than some people seem to think. It's a combination of all kinds of subtle elements which give you that flutter in the guts. Uh, this song is something you want to hear again and again. And I get that. I get like it that it's actually weirdly an exact science. I don't think the band approach it as an exact science though. I think they just stumble into like songs that work at times and they just like through sheer volume of how much they're doing this, occasionally they strike gold with a melody or yeah, the backing vocals work really well or, you know, Brian does something really interesting with his voice. Um, but yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's one for the fans. Um, I did enjoy it. Like it was, I wouldn't recommend it to people, but I don't think it's a waste of your time because even in the background, it will kind of lift your spirits a slight bit. I do find them likable. Um, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it is really damning with faint praise, but I'm kind of glad we picked it. I know when I picked it, I was thinking, I'm not sure Dave will enjoy this. I'm not sure I'll enjoy it. Is there a point for reviewing an ACDC album at this stage of their career? But if it is to be their last one, I think it sums up what they do do pretty well. They've distinguished themselves on it. Five out of ten. It's totally fine. (laughs) It's totally fine if you're in the mood for a, you know completely surface level guitar album that you don't have to think about throw it on you might have a bit of fun with it um you craig score numbers yeah like i'd want to be more generous and maybe give a six but when one of the kind of the singles shot in the dark has the line like shot in the dark beats a walk in the park i'm just like some of it's so lazy that has to be a five uh true to miss the time i will take away and demon fire is great fun and I think at their best, they're like a good bit of crack. And you'll find a couple of examples here. Five out of ten. I've done lots of walks in the park lately. I'm sick of them. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's on to something. Um, I think we're doing the Cribs next week, are we? If that's out by the time this podcast is out. Not a lot I would love to do the Cribs. Another guitar album. Hey, how Let's- dare you? <laughs> I, like, I'm curious. To- <laughs> if Frank Ocean dropped a new album, I would recommend them to Cribs. Okay, maybe not. Okay, well, real quick on the Cribs. Um, name an album that a listener should listen to before they listen to the new album, if they're not familiar with the Cribs. Um... I don't know, to be honest, it's it, because they've gone through so fucking, many... I thought you were a Cribs boy. Yeah, I know, but they've gone through so many iterations that, like, I I think maybe the new fellas is, like, their early stuff done really well. Um, I love Ignore the Ignorant just because Johnny Myers on it, but it feels like a slightly different band. Men's Needs, Women's Needs, whatever. Those three, I guess, go for. I, I remember reviewing their best of um, Payola a few years ago, and I gave it, like, a near-perfect score. So maybe start with Payola because it's stands up really well and you'll be surprised by how many just great songs they have okay uh other listening corner real quick i've mostly been getting my end of year act together but a couple of new irish releases of note one that is out now uh or one that i think is out now uh, regera that's or a g e double or a which is a new project featuring cobina and merley two great friends of this show who we love to bits uh the song is called terrified and it's part of a new project that the two lads have worked on together i believe the backstory was that sean cabina got in touch with merley to maybe work on a track and then they realized that they had something together uh which is great uh speaks further to merley's incredible prolific year that he's having and absolutely fucking delighted that cabina is back again writing new stuff and performing again um the song is very different. It wasn't what I was expecting. It's got an incredibly interesting raw kind of palette to it. And I would say just stop listening to me and go check it out. And a week from now, 
check out Tandem Felix, the great return of our friend hey. David Tapley. The Assassination is the name of the song. Uh, I may have been sent it ahead of time because, you know, friend privileges, but uh, it's a great song. It's one that I'm familiar <laughs> with. If you've seen Tandem Felix live in the last while, which I guess would be last year, because, of course, this year, you know... 2020, Craig, am I right? Um, it's a song he's you're not played wrong, live. Dave. It's a song he's played live before. Uh, if you like Tan and Felix, if you're into Tapley's laconic, incredible storytelling skills, it's all over it. And it it it, it hit me hard, man. There's an emotional gut punch to it. He's good at that. Yeah. yeah well, he didn't send it to me, so I'm going to recommend you don't listen to the new Tan and Felix <laughs> track when it goes on general release. <laughs> Despicable carry on. I what have I been him. listening to? I begged him, um, in fairness. Yeah. Uh, I was listening to Magic 106 Point Ever, which is the new 106 Point Ever album quite a bit. And I don't think it's his strongest work by any means, but it's pretty good. And I really like the weekend collaboration. It just works. No nightmares. Certainly a lot better than his team up with Ariana Grande, which we talked about a few weeks ago. So yeah, that's worth dipping into if you've been a fan of his previous stuff. Okay, right. It's top five time, Craig. Set us up, yeah? Let's go. Songs about Actually, weather. hang on. Hang on. Before you set us up, right, I'll set us up because I just realised, sorry, I'm. It, it, it's the pressure of coming back after one week, you know. I, I forgot that I prepared a couple of notes here. Yes, songs about weather. It's tough right? being a host. So, <laughs> it's, it's hard work being a host. So we're doing songs about weather, okay. Uh, we've got five songs each, obviously. And like, there's no best and worst here. It's just kind of what we went, what, what, how we interpreted that. Very loose title. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, like, maybe we don't want it to be freezing cold. Maybe we don't want to be asking questions you know, like this, Mark Greeny from JJ72. Why won't it snow like they said it would? What is it that they know that I really should? I tell you, I have the same reaction every year when it doesn't snow. It just upsets me. So maybe we don't want that. Like that, That's a far extreme end of the weather spectrum. Maybe instead, Craig, we want something a bit more summery, you know, like this. Don't you make act now. Supplies are running out. Allowing your skill alive. Since two eight years to arrive. And if you follow them, maybe be out tomorrow. But if the office shine, you might as well be walking on the sun. Yeah, but then, I don't know, Smash Mouth, I mean, there might be some kind of super spreading element to that, so maybe that's also a bit too dangerous. I don't know, Craig, save me here, would you, pal? I'm just wondering, was Bewitched's uh, Don't Blame It on the Weatherman a response track to the JJ72 song? Maybe. I like that. That's my new favourite um, wholesome conspiracy theory that I'm starting. Will I start with my list, Dave? Please do, yes. But I, but again, I didn't mean to step all over you, man. You know, I just don't, like, like, it's a lot of pressure. No, it was okay? a pretty, like, it was a pretty loose team this week. Um, there's a lot to choose from. It's a fun one. Uh, I'm going to start with um, my most recent song. Uh, I think this is one that is most directly about weather. Like, it's specifically about the conditions and the landscape, I think. Um, I was nearly veering fully away from snow and kind of wintry vibes, uh, but this kept pulling me back. If it looks like it might be Bad 
Just a nice patch for traction Yeah, that's Snow is Falling in Manhattan uh, by Purple Mountains from the self-titled Purple Mountains album of just last year. Uh, a band led by the now late David Berman, um, best known, I guess, for his Silver Jews work and most known for his just incredible lyricism, which is very in evidence here. Um, every kind of line and image just working to create this really like palpable experience. And yeah, he's kind of always had a keen eye for detail, amazingly insightful one-liners. Um and with this, I think you can kind of like taste the stillness. It's like the transformative effect of like this white stuff blanketing an island city and uh, just making people kind of slow down and stop. It's kind of like something from like a New Yorker short story, like a good one. Um, and the story here, such as there is, is like it's this caretaker taking in an old friend who's like seeking shelter from the, the cold wind, which is like an old Dylan thing. It's like even the Stones have done that kind of thing before. But as always with Berman, there's meaning and kind of motive like behind everything he does. And he switches then to a more like meta examination of the song itself. And he's some great lines about like songs building little rooms in time and how like husband in the songs of design is the ghost the host has left behind to greet and sweep the guest inside, stoke the fire and sing his lines. So it's basically the song as shelter from whatever conditions you face. It's like this magical little construct he's left behind to kind of shield you and just make it safe to kind of gaze out at the beauty and the cold. So yeah, that's a really touching one. Um, I had a few contenders here, but um. Actually, a cover version of this very song was released this very week by Chili Gonzalez, and I think Feist and Jarvis Cocker were on it. I haven't listened to it, but I was like, oh yeah, that's maybe a sign I should include it. And it's, yeah, a real standout from that album last year, which everyone should check out. I mean, like with these top fives, like tone is always interesting, right? Because I mean, you know, we, we, yeah. we come from different schools, you and I, and I feel like it can even come down to who starts, like, sometimes. Because I, 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 I was like, yeah, sure, like, why not, Greg? Like, let's see what you got. And you've ushered us in You're here back with... on the Smash Mouth buzz, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, we, we, we've, had our, we've had our Smash Mouth quotient You've had week, your fun worry. with the Smash Mouth. But, like, I just kind of feel like, how do I follow this wonderful wistfulness? <laughs> I'm sorry. The, like, the, this incredible autumnal slash wintry soul-shattering piece of music, which is absolutely gorgeous. You've really set me up for a fall here. So uh, for my number five, Craig, something completely different, yeah? Rejoice. It is, of course, Sandstorm by Darude, an incredible piece of music from 1999, a song that recently turned 20 and endures to this day. I know you're a big fan, Craig. Let it all out. It really just conjures up the magic of a sandstorm. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> We've all seen them, it's, right? Um, I'll tell you somebody who hasn't. Oh, yeah. Darude hasn't. He confessed in a Reddit AMA oh, here we go. in 2016 that he'd never experienced an actual sandstorm, but had experienced a dust devil, which I presume was his second single. So Darude, of course, we all know him very well. Uh, Tony Ville Henrik Vertanen from Finland. And, you know, DJ... Yeah, I mean, I don't know him that well. <laughs> well, I'm about to tell you. This guy, interesting fellow. Uh, he's obviously been pestered about this song for his entire career. Uh, when reflecting on it there a while ago, I think it was two years ago or maybe last year when it turned 20, speaking to Billboard, he said, it's been a huge part of my life for the last 20 years. It got my professional career started. I don't want to be only to be known as the sandstorm guy, but I'm not dumb or oblivious to how the world works. If you're not into dance music, but you actually know my track, that's good enough for me. When people are talking about me, it's a good thing for my career. I find my people when I get on the road and I communicate face-to-face or connect with like-minded people online. Not all the people I connect with are hardcore Darude fans. It's enough for me when they are dance music people. Dance music people pretty much feel the same way about music in general. It gives us escape. It gives us a chance to connect times and moments with audio. Do you remember where you were when you first heard this? Um, I mean, I guess I was still in school, so I don't know. At a... Underground rave, probably. Was he trying to in, killing vampires everywhere? Berlin, <laughs> yeah. I was wearing my leather duster at the time and nothing else. Um, I mean, it is like an indelible piece of music. Um, I find it interesting that he's never been in a sandstorm. I wasn't aware that there was a huge difference between that and a, what, a dust devil. Yeah, I think a dust devil. Do you is, have specifics on the uh, on the dust devil? I feel those. like a dust devil is less. Um, my like it's according to the uh, my, my Google storm in a teacup. Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's a strong, well-formed, and relatively short-lived whirlwind, ranging from small to large, and the primary vertical motion motion is upward. Dust devils are usually harmless, but on rare occasions can grow large enough to pose a threat to both people and property. So there you go. Don't mess around. Nice. Um, I do appreciate that you've gone with something a bit more exotic than just like, we could have been looking at two top fives that was just all your rains, your clouds. We got a sandstorm, early doors. I'm satisfied. It's the magic of the top five, regardless of the dramatic shift in tone. Yeah, I'm happy with it. I mean, like, it's it's a classic, right? I mean, it's been used fucking everywhere and everything. Yeah. I, I remember going to like a League of Ireland game in fucking, I don't know, 2002 or something. And like Waterford or whoever it was, came onto the pitch to Sandstorm. I was like, all right, that's fair enough. It's been used in video games, TV shows. They must have won by about six goals, right? 3-1, actually, if I recall correctly. Yeah, they they were G'd up that day and who wouldn't be, you know? I mean, it's it's just one of those songs, Craig, that like, you, you know, you take it with you, I feel. You get, you get swept away in the Sandstorm <laughs> of life. Maybe the Irish team needs that played before every match at this point. What do you reckon? And scored since the home's closed. All right, my number four. (laughs) The bands. It's like you're in the pub with us, right? A closed down pub. Uh, Okay, my number four. Um, This is a song I've long found (laughs) calming. Um, (laughs) Yeah. What nightmare would that be? Presenting a serene kind of exotic image of like some refreshing downpour i then later read that this is about like weather caused by a nuclear fallout um so yeah this is like a dystopian future that sounds pretty lush
Yeah, Peter Gabriel, big piece with Red Rain taken from the album So, which is the big one for him, I guess, 1986 album. Dave, you've got a question? Yes, my hand is raised, sir. I For a split second there, for one glorious second, I thought it was Michael Bolton. I thought Michael Bolton was finally going to make his debut in one of our top fives. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it took this long. But no, we've been robbed <laughs> another time, Mr. Bolton. Uh- I mean, I suppose this album is like the closest Peter Gabriel ever got to like the Boltons and maybe the Phil Collinses of the world where it's like, obviously, you know, he was this towering artistic figure in the late 70s down throughout the 80s. He's been relatively quiet for years at this point. He's emerged to like release cover albums that wind up in our top five worst cover songs of all time lists uh, as he did a few months ago with Street Spirit. But yeah, this is from The Ridiculous to Sublime. Um... Yeah, so was massive. Like, it had monster kind of pop hits on it. Um, lead single being Sledgehammer, which had that iconic video. Harry Styles did a good cover of it recently. Uh, Don't Give Up, duet with Kate Bush, In Your Eyes, which was obviously famously playing on the boombox that John Cusack was thrusting into the air and say something. Say something, say anything, say something. Say anything, say anything. Say anything. Um, Cameron Crowe, wasn't it? Yeah, so that kind of made that a big hit. And yeah, it was a absolutely gigantic album. This is the opener. It's an epic. He belts it out live. And yeah, I just love how it builds and the release and the chorus um, as the sky's open. But yeah, it's quite ambiguous as well. He actually got in um, Stuart Copeland from The Police just to play the hi-hat because he wanted to get like a rain-like background sound going. And he's like, Stuart Copeland's the best in the business with the hi-hat. So I'll get him in for that very reason. Um, which probably irritated his regular drummer. Um, but it works. It totally works. It's very cinematic. The storyline was kind of based around some kind of film he was working on that got abandoned. And he's talked about yeah the, the influences of this, like just various dreams he had, bizarre, surreal stuff. Um, it's kind of about maybe a nuclear fall, fallout. I think it's very enjoyable, all the same. Nuclear fallout, yeah. That's a big statement. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan. I think um, we've poisoned the planet and we deserve everything we get, Dave. That's fair. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry for challenging you on that one. It's uh, okay. Number just... four... I feel like like this episode's getting a bit I feel strongly about this one, Dave. Okay, Okay, it's fine. You can have it. Like, I'm sorry for overstepping, okay? Like, it's grand. Don't worry about it. Maybe we do need that Q&A episode just to really kind of iron some stuff out, yeah? Some kind of like... be therapy. Some kind of of come to Jesus meeting that we all need together. But in the meantime, Craig, I'm going to dazzle you with my number four. A song born out of a classic film. Today I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind Troubles melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's where you find me. Somewhere over the rainbow, birds fly. Birds fly over the rainbow. Why then, oh, why can't I give you Darude and I give you Judy Garland because I'm an eclectic son of a gun. That's who I am. That is, of course, Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz, a ballad composed by Harold Arlen 
with lyrics by Yip Harburg and sung by actress Judy Garland, who of course played Dorothy Gale in that very, very famous film. It won the Academy Award for Best Original Song, and it became Garland's signature song for pretty much the entirety of her career. And um, yeah, it's got that classic, really fucking sad you know, capturing a sense of time and place to it. I think it rises above what it's associated with in terms of the film. And even like the way it kind of plays out there, there's just a certain kind of weirdness to just that kind of inflection in the music. Like it's almost haunted or something. It's one of those songs where like you've heard it a million times, but like I'm never like, I'll turn that off. You know, I think it's a, it's a good one, Craig, you know, like hot take alert. It might be a good song. I've never heard this song before because every time I watch The Wizard of Oz, I've got like the sound down and I've got it synced with Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> of course, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Works really well. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is a classic. It's like very bittersweet. There's a weird, it's a weird kind of sadness to it as well. There's something kind of going on. I don't know if it's just the association with the film and what's happening with that, but yeah, it is, it is great. I don't know any of Judy Garland's other work, really. Do you? Not really, no, but I'll talk about the background to the song instead. I'll pivot away from that one really fast. Uh, composer <laughs> Harold Arland and Lyri- uh, Arlen, sorry, lyricist Yip Harburg uh, worked together. And on this, Harburg said his inspiration was a ballad for a little girl who was in trouble and wanted to get away from Kansas, a dry, arid, colourless place. She'd never seen anything colourful in her life except the rainbow. So they wanted a melody with a long, broad line. They said it was kind of hard to come together, but like... It hit them in a fit of peak and they wrote it together. Um, yeah, it's that kind of bittersweetness, right? It's that kind of like, like it's not dissimilar to, we talked about, um, oh fuck, We'll Meet Again, wasn't it, that song? Um, by the... We'll Meet Again in terms of the war effort and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like like yeah. the singer who passed away, name yeah. escapes me. Um, so yeah, like that kind of old timiness is just, you know, it's it's evocative in the in all the kind of best ways. But Gets also, the people going. Gets people going. So, I mean, like you... Um, Vera Lynn being the singer, sorry. Vera Lynn, yes. Sorry, respect on the name. So, essentially, uh, this, of course, appears in The Wizard of Oz. It's in lots of other media across the years. Can you name the uh, very over-the-top and violent action film from the late 90s in which this is played during a gun battle montage sequence... For, I guess, full context, there's a child in the room and they put headphones on the kid to try and, like, you know, take them out of the situation and they crank this up in the soundtrack and it's like, Yeah, oh, I'm wow. picturing a scene I can't remember. Let me know. Face Off, starring uh, Nicolas Cage and John Travolta, uh, of course. And it's really funny because it's like the kid's like six and they're like, <laughs> and they're like he loves his music. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, big, there's big some weird unrage film. weirdness going on in that film. Um, it's just a weird film in general. And it's a weird it's just, song. Yeah. But it came to mind, you know, I was like, because you were all in with the whole, you know, literal weather stuff. And I was like, what about things that the weather creates, like sandstorms and rainbows? I'm loving the variety. I will also say um, Sonic Architect, Adam got Vera Lynn as well. So well done, Adam, on that. Um, yeah, I'm loving the variety. I mean, was there any other kind of potentials you could add here, like the team tune to Rainbow? Maybe it's a bit of a banger. Uh, I mean, like Rainbow's a sacred show for me. You know how I yeah, feel about of course. it. You know, you know how I feel about Zippy, the strangest character on television history, who talks in a really, really weird way. I used to be able to do a really good Zippy impression, but I haven't done it in so long that I figure well, it, if I it morphed into Bane, didn't it? And then I think you quickly yeah, abandoned it. But it was still working ca- for me. It's kind of a combination of like Zippy from Rainbow, Bane, and Jeremy Irons in Die Hard Three. It's that kind of you know like oh no, like it's just that weird kind of you know like. <laughs> strangeness thing you know it's a horror show yeah yeah i'm not gonna do it again that was weird 
Please <laughs> take the show away from me. All right, my number three, and I'm surprised it's taken me this long to include a track from this lot. Uh, I'm glad it's this one. Um, this is the closer to their most popular album. I think it ele- elevated what they were doing. It took it to new places, um, namely a tour of the British Isles and Ireland, if that annoys you when you say British Isles. Yeah, blur there with this is a low. Um, Super happy with my proviso of having weather in the title extending to display on low pressure weather. Jesus I'm back in the game, Dave. I had snow and rain. It was a bit dodge, but yeah, low pressure. Do you want to know a bit more about low pressure weather systems, Dave? Oh man, like you wouldn't believe. It's a whirling mass of warm, moist air that generally brings stormy weather and strong winds. Um, when viewed from above, wind spark. No, I won't continue. But it is a perfect metaphor, I think, for like emotional or spiritual unrest. And um, yeah, it like totally chimes with what Damon Albarn was trying to achieve around this period of like projecting his psyche onto the culture um, and even like the topography of his home country. Um, there was, you know, lots of horrendous patriotic parts of Britpop, um, particularly all the kind of Union Jack nonsense. But I did like how it kind of gave people like Jarvis Cocker this um platform for kind of like working class kind of character driven vignettes um and it like allowed Albarn to carve out more ambitious stuff um this is all based around Graham Coxon's guitar though it came from him playing a bunch of solos um they were all just sitting around he was playing at a maximum volume and Damon kind of had nothing for a time and the inspiration came according to Alex James from a tea towel or a handkerchief he had with like a map of the shipping forecast regions on it. Damon Albarn was just like, okay, I'll use that. So it tapped into like the BBC's shipping forecast as if it was a report of the various different regions and it works really well. Like it's like he's above the islands and he's just kind of giving his take on what's going on. And it works lyrically for that reason. I think Coxon's guitar is just like otherworldly. It kind of sounds like the sea swelling, a storm's breaking, gale force winds. It's really, really good in that respect. So it all comes together nicely for me, Dave. I thought it was perfect for this list and I'm very pleased with myself. Really? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm glad about this sudden spurt of confidence you've got. It's, you know, Thanks. It's been, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, I, I, I'd say so. It's good to hear you finally come into your own. I would like to hear more about low pressure though. I mean, is that a case of, you know, depends on where you are or is it the same for everybody really? Well, like the wind spiral in a kind of low pressure center in a counterclockwise rotation in the northern hemisphere. And then I believe it's clockwise when you're in the southern hemisphere. So that's the difference. Okay. I'll have to, like, I'll I'll have to really look into this one. I mean, you know, like, are, do you, like, are Blur too too high concept for their own good or are they just a bunch of lads making tunes? You know, I can never really decide myself. I don't know how to do somewhere in between. Yeah. They, I think they took things too far at points, right? So, like, this album was great, 
but by the time you got to the Great Escape, they were trying to do the kind of core blimey English lads up thing a bit too much and it became cartoonish. So I think like they kind of, they milked that for all it was worth and got some great songs out of it. And then they moved on to like, they just got obsessed with pavement and tried to be pavement for a bit and got great songs out of it. I think just Damon Albarn is that kind of artist and musician who gets obsessed with different types of music or culture and kind of copies it or integrates it in his own unique way. And I suppose when you're that passionate, you're going to take a few missteps here and there. Um, But by and large, I think he does quite well. Don't quote me on this, but I think um, not Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar's favourite song, (laughs) is a Blur song. I think. I think that's correct. Do you know that? No, I did not know that. Um, I have to guess. Favourite song? I think his favourite song is Blur God knows with Leo. Um... I'm going to go for, oh my God, because I don't know how deep his knowledge of like music goes. I know he loves concerts, it's a big part of his personality, but is it, is it Beetlebum? No, it's not. It's a song that like would get a big reception at a concert. Everyone would sing along. Um, Should be really obvious. Park Life, is it? No, it's Tender, for fuck's sake. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I heard that through the grapevine. Don't know if it's true. Is Tender a good song? Yeah, it just goes on too long. It kind of does that Hey Jude thing of just like continuing on and on and on with the communal singing. Um, but yeah, at its core, it's a good song. Can confirm. He's good taste. Okay, let's let's crank it back a decade, right? You know, it's it's 2010. So it's the end of a, end of a decade, start of a new one. And it's the second kind of return, the second triumphant comeback, I suppose, for this particular British outfit. that it's the flood it's the lead single off the progress album that saw robbie williams finally return to the fold after 15 years you could make the argument that they didn't need him but man that's a good album this is a great song and yeah it's the flood it's about rain and stuff right so it qualifies right yeah it's very old testament um so i don't know what that says about their beliefs in flat earth or dinosaurs we won't get into that but um yeah that was a very good album and progress like they were pushing boundaries for them, I guess, going a little outside their comfort zone, um, which is, you know, for Take That, just bringing in some electronics, really. But um, it worked. It totally worked. I was against Robbie being let back in after he abandoned them so callously in the 90s. Uh, If you recall, they had to set up, like, helplines for distraught teenagers. I just thought, listen, leave well enough alone, but they're good lads at heart. And, yeah, um, it's a good album. I... I haven't seen them live. I don't. I've never seen them live, but I, I didn't like that whole thing of them giving Robbie a section to do his hits either. I was vehemently opposed to that. I was there. I saw them on this very tour. You were, yeah. yeah. Was, and uh, how did that work? Was, how did? What was the dynamic like? Well, it's because, as you describe it. Yeah. So it was Croke Park, I believe. Uh, Pet Shop Boys supported them, and I missed them, which is really fucking annoying. Uh, but I saw Take That, who were spectacular. It's a spectacular show. It was great. But yeah, there's an element. So like, it started off, and it was the four lads 
doing a bunch of songs, including like Shine or whatever. And then, yeah, Rob Williams, like fucking parasails in or whatever. And like, you know, <laughs> just literally like the other, the other guys piss off to watch, I don't know, an episode of Curb Enthusiasm or something because they're gone for like 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And Robbie's doing his own show with his own songs, his own solo career. And it's meant to be like, well, that's the point, isn't it? It's all about, you know, coming back together and blah, 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 blah. I could have done yeah. without that mini concert in the middle, but it was a great night out, Craig. I must say, they know what they're doing, these these lads, so they do. It was good stuff. Yeah, a big Barlow confidence with that, right? Because obviously, like, when they got back together initially, they were very much in the shadow of Robbie at that point, who, I mean, prior to them getting back together, you could say Robbie had had a far better career, right? The bigger hits overall, I guess. Um, some international hits maybe never really made it in America but to then get to a point where Take That weren't worried about being like oh this is going to be anticlimactic after Robbie Does Angels shows how their second act was probably better than the first and this album's probably a testament to that yeah so the backstory here I guess to the reunion there with with all five uh, when Take That were recording The Circus in 2008, Gary Barlow and Rob Williams met for the first time, reportedly, since Williams left the band in 95. And then smash cut to 2010, they're on Radio 1. Rob Williams said, it's one of those situations in life that could be very explosive and could go completely wrong. We had a big chat and the most amazing thing that happened at the end of it all, we both said sorry to each other. We both meant it and it was what we all needed. Gary Barlow said, I spent the last 15 years thinking about what I was going to say. So you'd hope he would have built it up by then. And then, yeah, they, next thing you know, press release, full-on thing, album, he's back. It was the only album he came back for. And there's interesting stuff where, like, there was a documentary, right, on ITV called Look Back, Don't Stare. And there's a scene where Elton John appears to listen to an early demo of this song, The Flood. And he goes, mm-hmm. brilliant. Do you know how big this is going to be? However, apparently this was some uh, some misdirection. It was some editing. The extended cut of the documentary shows that Elton John was actually listening to the song Underground Machine, which didn't go on to do much. As for this one, it did well. It debuted at number two on the UK singles chart. Rihanna's Only Girl in the World retained the top spot that week. It was nominated for an Ivor Novello, our favourite award in 2012, for Best Work and Most Performed Song. Lost to Rolling in the Deep, but they did win Most Outstanding Contribution to British Music at the Ivor Novellos, thus underlining why we respect that institution so much. And look, it, of course, I think it's just a fucking belter. I mean, like in the pantheon of, you know, take that version to like Patience is at the top of the mountain. You got Rule the World in there as well. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold what? on. Oh, of, of their second yeah, act, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're not in, Okay, okay. I'm oh, sorry. Is, really panicked there for a second. Back for Good is, of course, the all-timer. But yes, you're correct. Uh, no, Go I ahead. Think, I, I think Patience number one, like if you encapsulate the whole career. What? Yeah, Patience is the best song by a mile. Back for Good is the Stone Cold classic. I'm not. I'm not Volume doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this, man. Like, there's level. There's levels, Dave. Dude, you're right? Ripping it's your headphones like... off over there. Like, <laughs> okay, we're counting. The point Go is, ahead. Go on. The floods are my top five. I, 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 I think it's a very strong belter. And if I recall correctly, there was a great performance on X Factor that year, which is probably worth checking out. I don't know. You all right over there? You okay? <laughs> Yeah. I thought you'd be happy. This I'll be fine that. once I I'll be, I'll be fine once I see that X Factor performance after <laughs> yeah. this show. I'm sure have like a cup a, of tea and I calm think, down. I, I I I think it rains like you know like you know it's all it's all very as it does in the back for good video. <sighs> Influential. Let it go. Incredible. Let it okay, go. my number two. <laughs> I'm moving on um, to a time before chemtrails were all the rage, and this artist had Donald Sutherland getting banged up for messing with the clouds. Crying 
Cloud Busting by um, Peter Gabriel's mate, Kate Bush there, taken from 1985's Hounds of Love, um, which is a masterpiece, and I think this is the high watermark for me. Um, some big Fairlight action going on, brilliant kind of strident cello, militaristic drums, it's great. Um, at this point, she'd kind of got some tips from Peter Gabriel, I think, and just had like total mastery of the studio. Um, and you can hear it on this record, this song in particular. And the song is about um, a book... Uh, a book of dreams from this guy, Peter Reich, who was writing about his father, who was a infamous psychiatrist, um, Wilhelm Reich, who had some kind of weird theories about orgones. Um, he named his house Organon, which is referenced there in the opening uh, after it, which is basically like these energies that can kind of unlock human potential. And he thought the way to access them was by manufacturing rain um, with these, it was a whole process. He built these machines called cloud busters. He'd point them at the sky. Um, I think a lot of official sources back in the day, back in the forties and fifties called him a bit of a charlatan. Um, he was eventually arrested, um, for, I think, inciting people in general. And he just had some weird views on human sexuality and stuff like this. Anyway, the song is kind of about that father son relationship. In the video, Donald Sutherland plays the father and Kate Bush plays the son, um, watching uh, the father be kind of taken away. And it's just, it's just so well worked. It's quite touching. It's really, I mean, it's not really a song about weather. It's about that moment when you realise maybe your parents are fallible. And I love that like lyrical idea where it's, you know, some objective phenomenon, which is like a rain shower, just conjuring up all these old emotions years later and feelings about like your complex relationship with your dad. Um... And again, that like ambiguity of like, okay, it's the rain, it's this kind of life-giving thing, but is it like a stormy warning sign? Does she mean like, reg- you know, tears of regret? It's all in, in there. You can kind of pour over forever and I intend to do so. It's a great song. I love it. Yeah, man. Absolute belter. Again, you know, week on week when you're doing these things and you're you're doing the research, I think sometimes we play that kind of chess game with each other where I'm like, ah, Craig will have that one for sure. So I, right, you yeah, know, yeah. reluctantly put it to one side. But yeah, um, I went to, were you there that day? I went to like a listing party, one of those vinyl things a while ago for this album. Uh, no, I haven't been to yeah, it, I like the idea it, It's good crack, but it's weird. Vinyl and wine. Vinyl and wine, or, yeah. yeah. So you're like, you sit in this room and everyone's just like staring straight ahead at like a record player. <laughs> it's like, it sounds great. It's cool. I wish I could do it now, but obviously it would be very uh, not safe to do so. But yeah, I mean like a hell of an album to do it with because there is that kind of cavernous sound, I guess, to almost every song on here. And I guess, you know, for a lot of people it's between this one and running up that hill, but I don't know. There's something kind of at once timeless about this, but also you do feel like you're there. It's that transported thing I talk about all the time. So yeah, I feel like we're friends again, Greg. This is a good shout. Congratulations. <laughs> Kate Bush has saved our marriage. <laughs> Dave, what's <laughs> your number two? First. Um, okay, so listen, <laughs> along with countless amateurs, this song has been covered by the likes of All Time Low, The Baseballs, Biffy Clyro, Manic Street Preachers, McFly, Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park, One Republic and Taylor Swift. It is, of course, this. <laughs> i 
That's Rihanna, Umbrella, 2007, from the album Good Girl Gone Bad. I think that's her third album. You know, she'd had a bunch of kind of singles before. There's like Pond to Replay and stuff like that. But yeah. to say this is the one that really broke her, right? And like made her the megastar that she is now. Um, it's a hell of a song. You got to shave off that terrible Jay-Z verse at the start of it if you want it to be a five-star song, I think. Phones it in. I love it, though. I mean, I loved it from the first time I heard it. And... You know, I think for a song that has been everywhere for so long. Remember the days of the nightclubs with like people on the dance floor with fucking umbrellas? With umbrellas. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, like that's that's a power of a song, God. man. Uh, I'm not sick of it. I still love it. I think it is great. I mean, it's it was almost meme-like in its kind of, I suppose, impact that it had. Um, but it was just, it was fucking everywhere. And it's just a, such, a, such a great pop song. The backstory is interesting. Uh, American songwriter and producer Christopher Tricky Stewart and uh, Terry's The Dream Nash, Cook, Harold all worked on it. Um, so they were messing around with, quote, walloping hi-hat sound, which was actually found in the free music software that comes with your MacBook GarageBand. And uh, essentially they were like, what the fuck is that beat? It's amazing. They started writing it in a matter of hours. They had recorded a demo of the track. So it was written with Britney Spears in mind, who I think turned it down, possibly. Uh, she's working on Blackout, which is probably her best album. Uh, she... The label apparently rejected it, saying that, they, no, we have too many songs. We don't need this. Yeah, I think that's what it was. So I don't even think she rejected it. Yeah, it was more kind of an, an admin error, which I hope someone got fired oh, for. Fucking label. Unbelievable, <laughs> right? So how do you make that decision? Like, it seems like such a no-brainer now, but even you'd imagine hearing a demo of this, you'd just be like, well, that's on the album. Nope. We don't right? need it. Um, so the two lads um, sent it out to other record labels, and it also somehow found its way to Teo Cruz, who failed to convince his record company to release it. Like what? So many people. That's an even bigger sickener, isn't it? Like, like <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> oh my god! We know better than you. Um, so it was it was optioned by De- Island Def Jam chairman Antonio Reed, and. They, apparently there was some situation where like they wanted to send it to Mary J. Blige, but Rihanna heard it and she was like, every time I listen to it, it gets better. I listen to it over and over. I said, I need this record and I want to record it tomorrow. So, you know, there was like a situation where someone had to step in and mediate the thing and eventually found its way to Rihanna. And the rest, Craig, is history. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Back in the, this came out back in the days when like, People complaining about it raining all summer because of this song was like the biggest thing we had to worry about oh, yeah. in the world. It a curse. It's a rainy summer. Yeah, the curse of Umbrella. It's a Rihanna curse. Yeah. So uh, while she was uh, raining at number one in the UK, uh, there was extreme rainfall and flooding. Don't know about low pressure, but I presume that was involved as well. Uh, and the sun were like, it's a curse. And then there was like some horrible weather conditions all around the world in Auckland and Romania lots of other places that recorded their fucking worst ever rains in history all while Rihanna was number one quite the marketing campaign uh, there's an amazing quote as well um, from Stuart Tricky Stewart saying that like 
when Rihanna recorded the Ellas, you knew it was about to be the jump off and your life was about to change if you had anything to do with that record. And apparently it did. They said like all of a sudden we had major artists blowing up our phones. We knew exactly how to service them. We reverted back to the jingle mentality. We were prepared for that pressure. So whether it was Beyonce or Bieber calling, we knew how to operate, which is quite confident as well. And yeah, it's it's sold 6.6 million copies to date. It's fucking huge. Everyone knows it. It's one of those ones where like, it's just enduring and it's it somehow still works. And I, you know, you feel like you could get sick of it. I don't think Rihanna is the is the incredible artist that people seem to think that she is, but this is up there. <laughs> people like me, yeah. I know, I wish you'd come back and curse us again with some new music. It's been a minute. But um, yeah, it could be like this glides across cheesiness ever so slightly those ellas could be quite annoying but so well written i think there's real emotion in it and they just act as this really good kind of hook or tag and yeah you can tell from that moment it's just kind of got its claws into you a very very good selection dave all right i'll do my number one um yeah all right we'll just get into it i will now sell five copies of the three eps by beta bands there with dry to rain um more john cusack as well um dave you were probably suspecting this one to at least crop up in the top five if not be nailed on number one because it is one of my favorite songs love everything about it i actually forgot would you believe i can't i I can't (laughs) i can't believe it as soon as it started i was like oh yeah for fuck's sake of course this is an amazing song i'd never heard it before until you played it for me back in the hot press days and it is glorious and i should have known i'm a bad friend yeah it's you're not a bad friend at all um we were talking about hey jude and like being like tender being a bit like it this is kind of like a, an india take on hey jude as well just in how like it seems to have that endless like communal mantra sing out at the end and it's just really joyous but um this is more kind of untamed weirder it's got like a countrified kind of shuffle at the start and those like triumphant like life affirming horns it's so good it's better than hey jude um by a long stretch i'm putting that out there i'm sorry paul Sorry, Sir Paul. Um, and it was it was track number one on Champion Versions, which was, I think, the first EP. It was the debut EP. So kind of slightly downhill from there for the beta band, although I do think they were great. Um, they never kind of broke through in a big way. Um, there was so much kind of weight put on their shoulders um, around the turn of the century. Um, but yeah, it didn't quite happen for them. But those three EPs are fantastic. I think the last album as well, Heroes to Zeros, was great. It was a bit more commercial, but it never really went anywhere for them. But yeah, this is this works a treat every time you need to kind of pick me up. It's a bit of a therapy session. Um, and yeah, it's about kind of, I guess, rain and weather as like a shifting mental state. It's kind of like a sad anthem maybe. And yeah, about like getting your act together and your head becoming clearer and a sunny day coming out. Oh, sunny day. So it works for me every time. Okay. So, you know, it's it's moody. It's wistful. It's got that kind of lived-in experience, I suppose. It's what it's like about six minutes, right? So it's kind of like you know, it's a it's yeah. a slow burn for sure. Um, why don't we counter this slow burn with another slow burn <laughs> for my number one, in which it is indeed sunny. 
It is a chorus. Take my head, drown my fear, till you all just disappear. Black hole sun, won't you come? Wash away the rain. Black hole sun, won't you come? Won't you come? Yes, of course, the very, very familiar and fucking incredible signature vocals of the late, great Chris Cornell there, fronting Soundgarden in 1994 with the song Black Hole Sun from the record Super Unknown. This is probably their best known song. I mean, it's certainly like one of their most critically acclaimed and commercially successful, armed with a real fucking of its time MTV video that freaked me out when I was about 10. And, you know, if you've ever seen that video, it's a a suburban Lynchian nightmare with people's faces melting and it's very, very weird and fucked up. The song is amazing. Um, It really, really does hold up. And unfortunately, it is one of those kind of cases where it's taken on kind of ghostly life in the passing of Chris Cornell. It has those extra elements as maybe, I don't know, maybe only the best songs and the most tragic stories can. Uh, When he talked about writing it, he said he was driving home from Bear Creek Studio in Woodenville, a 40-minute drive from Seattle. Uh, It sparked from something he heard on a news anchor set on television. Um, I heard blah, 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 Black Hole Sun, blah, blah, blah. I thought that would make an amazing song title, but what would it sound like? Uh, It all came together, pretty much the whole arrangement, including the guitar solo that's played beneath the riff. I spent a lot of time spinning those melodies in my head so I wouldn't forget them. I got home and whistled it into a dictaphone. The next day I brought it into the real world, assigning a couple of key changes in the verse to make the melodies more interesting. Then I wrote the lyrics and that was similar. A stream of consciousness based on the feeling I got from the chorus and the title. He said he wrote it in about 15 minutes. Um, he didn't think the band would like it and then it became the biggest hit of the summer so you know your classic kind of VH1 behind the music stuff there Um, apparently like uh, uh, Brendan O'Brien actually was involved here he was the producer of this record him and uh, Michael Beanhorn who was the like also produced on the record uh, pushed for it as well like I think people were just like there's something really fucking big here. Bean Horn said that with the first time he heard it, uh, I think for the rest of my entire life, until I draw my last breath, I'll never, ever forget how I felt when they started playing that song. From the very first few notes, I felt like I'd been hit by a thunderbolt. I was absolutely stunned. What in the world is this? I get goosebumps thinking about it just now. Um, it's just an incredible song. It's kind of one of those like standard bearers for the grunge genre and for that music at that time. Obviously, like, so many headlines were dominated by the likes of Pearl Jam and Nirvana, but you had bands like Soundgarden and Stone Temple Pilots snipping at their heels through incredible uh, pieces of music like this. I think it's held up so incredibly well. It's a fucking incredible song to just throw on any time of the day, no matter what the season is. And again, I don't know. I mean, like, I think it stands as perfect tribute to the guy's work. Obviously, there was more members in that band, but it's Chris Cornell's genius that brought this one out. Yeah, I'd say like a young Matt Bellamy was raging that that song title was taken when it came out. He's just like, damn it. He got around um, it though. Works, 
works really well. He did, just about. He's clever, that guy. Um, you were giving out to me about including a song about a nuclear fallout, and you're now talking about a weather condition that can only exist if the sun, our sun, our life giver, collapses in on itself. Um, you convinced me, Which pal. is far more dramatic. <laughs> you won me over. Uh, yeah, I love... I love this because it's, yeah, the music video really struck me when I, when I first saw it. And I think around that time, like there was a lot of music that was um, exploring angst and anger and like self-loading. But this does something slightly different where it's it's got that surreal kind of counterintuitive thing going on. But it's also just, it just feels kind of like dejected. And there's like a who gives a shit vibe to it, which kind of approaches the power of the music means it kind of approaches this like serenity almost like it's really it's kind of it puts you in a total blank. You know, it gives you a blank slate emotionally. I think it's it's a really cleansing song. Weirdly, I don't know what's quite going on with it, but it's a, it's a powerful kind of move. Yeah, it's a it's there's something kind of I guess like a purge about it, or some kind of release. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I've I've never quite thought of it that way, but it has that kind of physical connection to it. So, you know, much like the weather itself, Craig, it's a mood killer, or it can raise your spirits. This song, you know, I guess on paper and some of its tone, you might say it's downbeat, but I don't, I don't take that from it. I take something kind of very, very powerful and a lot of conviction out of it. So yeah, top five songs about weather, yo. We went to some strange places. How you feeling? We did. And I'm feeling good. And only um, 33 days until the days start getting longer again. That's so. good. Hey, is, is that, is, yeah, is that, keep on trucking. <laughs> yeah, I checked it earlier on because I was like, I can't be doing with this clocking off work and it's like pitch black. So not much longer, folks. Yeah, it's a it's a rough time. Um, you know, anyone listen to the show, hang in there because it's gonna be over soon, right, man? This vaccine's coming. It is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Fucking Dolly Parton is sorting us what out. A, what <laughs> a, what a what coming. fucking legend! All right, this episode of No Encore was produced by our sonic architect Adam Shanahan, who we love dearly. It's patreoncom slash No Encore if you want to help us pay the bills. And we're back next week. Um, probably the Cribs. Don't have a top five in place just yet. I would encourage everyone, though, to really start thinking about your end of year stuff because um, I I put together this fucking huge Google Doc and I'm like, wow, there's too many albums to go back over here. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I haven't even looked at the songs yet. I think it's been a good fucking year. Of all the years. Yeah, it I has. Think musically, it's been a good year. So that's one good thing. <laughs> so concentrate on that for the next little while. And we'll be back next Friday. Craig, thanks, man. Love you. Love you too. Good to have you back. Aww. All right. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There'll be No Encore. See you next week. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. thinking about mcdonald's all day can't get it off my mind i can already taste it Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some mickey d's deal there's a deal for every moment at mcdonald's right now get two of your favorites for just 350 mix and match a classic mcchicken a hot and spicy mcchicken or a juicy mcdouble price and participation may vary cannot be combined with combo meal single item at regular price Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.